Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who've started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 34 with the Adventure Journal founder, Steve Casimiro. This episode was brought to you by Danner. Since 1932, Danner has been crafting high-quality, durable boots built to endure the harshest climates. I wore Danner boots hiking all over Yosemite, and they held up great and looked amazing. One of their best new styles is the Mountain 600. Danner partnered with Vibram to create a classically styled shoe with lightweight innovation and extreme durability. I also love the Mountain Light Cascade. It's the boot worn for the movie Wild, which documents Cheryl Strait's epic journey along the Pacific Crest Trail. Danner makes boots for the U.S. military, and since the 1930s, they've proudly made boots in the USA and their Oregon factory. They also have one of the best taglines ever, the original outsider. If you have a wild idea worth living and you need a good boot to do it in, check out Danner. You can find some of the best Danner styles, including the Mountain Light and the Mountain 600 at REI and REI.com. Steve Casimiro is the founder of The Adventure Journal, an online magazine with a beautiful quarterly book that covers the deeper side of adventure. Steve got his start at newspapers, worked at Powder Magazine for 11 years. He helped get Snowboarder Magazine going, was the founding editor of Bike Magazine, then became the West Coast editor for National Geographic before founding the Adventure Journal. We talk about how he started a media company during the height of the recession, how art and adventure can go hand in hand, what makes good writing, where to travel to next, his thoughts on social media, and what it means to live an adventurous life. Steve's a thoughtful guy. He's a deep guy. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, so today we are at the Adventure Journal, the headquarters of the Adventure Journal with Steve Casimiro, the founder, a great adventurer himself. Steve, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. Thank you, Shelby. So I want to just start with adventure, how... You know, an adventure that you had young, maybe, or or what sport and adventure that really, really kind of got you hooked? Um, well, I was really active when I was little and I, I ran and I rode my bike and I did all the stuff that kids do. And there was, there was one moment for me, I, I kind of, I got into my teen years. One thing that I was really fixated on was wanting to ski because my parents didn't ski. They weren't really winter oriented people. And so when I was 18, I finally had the opportunity to go skiing. I grew up in Northern Virginia. And so this was in West Virginia, not exactly the home of major (laughs) skiing, but it was pretty rad for me. And it was this tiny little place. It was mostly actually a sledding hill and they had one lift. And, um, I rented a pair of Olin Mark threes. I still remember. And they had these horrible spaven bindings, these plate bindings. If they got any snow on them, they would just instantly release and it was probably in the high 30s. It was raining. I was in jeans. It was a nightmare trying to stay in the skis. And it, and I went down this, got off the lift. I went down this cat track 
And because all I could do was go down a cat track at that point. And I made this, it was a left-hand turn and then back to the left. And there was probably 150 vertical feet, but I would just go straight to that turn <laughs> and I would make that left. And half the time I would either crash or the skis would come off. But every once in a while I would fully make it. And it, to me, it just seemed there was something about the mostly frictionless experience of snow and, and the magic of snow. Like how can you not see snow as magical and even though it was this like tiny dumpy place to ski and I, my jeans were soaking when I had no idea what I was doing that sensation of a turn right there. And the, the window that that showed me there's something opening into another world changed everything in my life. Like I just couldn't get enough of skiing at that point. And so you skied, you still ski. Yeah. Well, so then I basically structured as, as much of my life living in Northern Virginia as I could. I was still in college. I ended up working for a, a ski rental shop and I just did everything that I possibly could. And, um, I was working, uh, when I graduated from college, I had a journalism degree and I was working for USA today and I had this project where I was having to help build, um, our library. And so I called powder. <laughs> like there's no legitimate reason why you would need to have a ski magazine in USA Today's library. But I called powder because I love powder. And I thought, well, maybe this is a way to like get a free subscription in here. And I ended up talking to the editor and made this great connection with her, which I then sort of developed and nurtured and over the years. And that ultimately, it's a long story, but ultimately led to me working there, which then completely changed the trajectory of my life. So you had this love of adventure young, but there must have been some sort of love of writing that led you to journalism school and somehow get a gig with USA Today, which is pretty huge for someone young. Yes and no. Um, my Actually, my passion was photography. Ah. And so when I was 11, I got my first camera and I wanted to be a wire service photographer. I used to cut classes. So I grew up outside DC and there will always be these protests and these political things going on. I used to cut classes to go down and shoot these things. And then I would talk to the wire service photographers and the Washington Post photographers and I would just pick their brain about what they did and how they did it. And I was such a geek about it. But I was also kind of clueless when I went to college. I, you know, they said, if you're undecided, put down business. And so I actually started as a business major. Meanwhile, I ended up becoming the photo editor at the weekly paper there. And so everything was sort of oriented. And I finally, like the light went on. I, maybe I really can pursue journalism. And uh, my girlfriend in sort of my later years in college was, uh, she worked for ABC News and USA Today was just starting up. Mm. And so she got me a connection there and I sent on my resume and, and I went to interview for a position in the photo lab because that's everything that I had done was toward oriented toward photography. And when I showed up for the job interview, it had already been filled. And they said, well, we have this position on the copy desk in the money section. Do you, are you interested in that? And I said, sure. And so then I went, I went from this complete focus on photography to all of a sudden being immersed in words. And so that sort of changed again, kind of the trajectory. And I started writing when I was there and I, got, I interned as a, as a writer there. And then when I graduated, I got a, a full-time job. Um, so it's sort of, it's like, it's been this kind of sine wave back, bouncing back and forth between photography and writing. It's uh, so cool though. Right now you have all the skills that you learned young have completely shaped you for what you do right now. You know, photography, even that little bit of business, I'm sure has helped because now you have the Adventure Journal, which is, you know, to me, my favorite magazine quarterly on adventure. And you have the most beautiful daily emails about adventure. And there's so much content. Starting a business is not easy. And it is a wild idea. And the show is about 
you know, how you had a wild idea and how you made it happen. Can you maybe tell me a little bit about how you came to found the Adventure Journal? And we can go back a little bit because I know we keep Yeah, for ahead. sure. Um, after I left newspapers, I joined the staff of Powder. I was at Powder for about 11 years while I was there. I um, helped just in the early days get snowboarder going. And then um, I was the founding editor of Bike and was really involved with the startup there. So I knew from those what it was like to start something from scratch, although it was other people's money and there were a lot more other people involved. (laughs) So the risks were a lot lower than they are now, but I, I got a window into that. In 98, our company was purchased by Peterson and I left and I started freelancing and um, pretty much right away I found a home at National Geographic Adventure and I worked with those guys for about 11 years um, as their West Coast editor and so I would do I would write for them and I would shoot for them and just do a lot of different things and um, in 2008 I guess it was they asked me if I wanted to start blogging this was sort of when blogs were going off and I just kind of rolled my eyes because I'm like I love print I want to keep doing print (laughs) and uh, but I I started doing it and the freedom of it was pretty rad. I really loved it. And within a few blog posts, I said, you know what? I like this, but I want to do my own thing. I don't want to do it under the National Geographic thing. You guys can pick up the copy or whatever, but I just want to have, because I mean, I had run magazines, right? Like I'd started magazines and it was, they were a great crew to work with. But when you, you know, when you do that, when you kind of call the shots or have the vision of it, I don't think you ever let go of wanting to be able to do that. And so having this blog enabled me to get back into that. Um, and of course, 2008, 2009 was when everything was, of, was yeah. just hitting the fan. <laughs> Things were just hitting the absolute mm-hmm. fan. And NGA, it was pretty clear that last year there was a lot of belt tightening. Things were getting really serious. I thought, well, okay, what's next? Um, I could go back out and freelance for everybody. I would have, there'd be one less title, the one title that I respected and loved the most. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do my own thing. And so I spent most of 2009 working pretty much full-time for NGA and then the rest of the time trying to figure out, okay, how do I take advertising on my site? What does that look like? How do you actually get an ad onto your site? What do people pay for ads? I'd always been kind of cloistered in the editorial side and we were, I'd work with ad, the ad guys, the ad folks. But I, I mean, I didn't know how things were priced. I, you know, I didn't know any of that. And so it was just this deep immersion into learning that. And then in, um, in December of 2009, they pulled the plug on, on print, on NGA. And so the outdoor retailer show was uh, a month later. And I went, hit the ground running and said, okay, <laughs> I'm open for business. <laughs> Help. It's so funny because I think I met you maybe the next OR because I just quit my job at Vans and someone's like, you got to meet this guy, Steve Casimiro. And I was so lucky to get my first, one of my first stories with you and, and you ran it and you edited it so well. So thank you. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. So you've interviewed some great people and told some amazing stories. Are there any that stick out that, you know, were, were pretty memorable? I mean, I'm sure it's the last story you did is the most memorable, but are there a couple that maybe we could talk about? Yeah. I mean, the folks that I think about are um, (laughs) the the last ones that I talked to or the people who became friends. And, um, you know, for me, Adventure Journal, when I when I transitioned from it being a blog to being more of a commercially oriented site, 
The last thing that I wanted to do was just pump out more stuff. I mean, we call it content now, I guess. Mm -hmm. That's what we're supposed to call it. But I mean, we're talking about stories. We're talking about real people, accounts of real people and real things. And I didn't want to do what outside does or what anybody else does because they already do a really good job at that, right? Like, so if I'm going to do it, I want to bring my own thing to it. And what I've tried to do with Adventure Journal was to bring a a wide ranging definition of adventure of what adventure means and a commitment to following that drive to see new things and explore new things and explore what it means to be an adventurous person living primarily outdoors, you know, mostly outdoors and to try not to do the traditional stuff basically. Um, and it's sort of taken AJ all over the place I and mean, we've done all kinds of interesting things. And so the people that I've gravitated to are the people that continue to um, break new ground and exploring what it means to be adventurous. And they tend to be writers. Um, they tend to be photographers and in particular artists. You know, we were just talking as you were coming in, you saw some of the stuff on our walls. We have art by Julie Goldstein and um, Julie is often lumped in as a surf artist. She just happens to work in the world of surfing. She's not really a surf artist. She's a fine artist who is a passionate surfer. And that comes into her work that informs her work. And her latest thing that she was working on are the women who, uh, the women divers in Japan. And it's kind of a dying profession, these women. Um, but they, uh, there's this kind of collective, there's this individuality about them and they're strong and they, they, uh, they support their families from this diving and they've been doing it for generations. And so that's gotten, gotten woven into Julie's work. She's fascinated by the Ama, the, the, Ama, the women yeah. and their strength and their independence. And so, you know, if you ask the question, what does it mean to live an adventurous life? What does it mean? I, I don't know if there's words for what it means to be an ama living adventurously. Maybe the answer to that question is best told through art, through woodcuts and prints. I, I, I don't know, you know, but I found over the years, I think a lot of people find is that the single-minded pursuit, or not the single-minded, but the pursuit of selfish accomplishments, of PRs on Strava or whatever it is, or surfing every day for six years, or whatever whatever your thing is, that stuff's great. And I pursued that for a long time, but ultimately, it's not. It, it doesn't keep you warm at night. What keeps you warm at night is doing good in the world, feeling like you, you get up and you have a mission and you go do it and you know that it's a net positive, and sharing things with people. And so as I have evolved and my perspective on outdoor media has evolved, I think that's where AG is today, that ultimately we want to write, especially in the quarterly, especially in print, we want to share and talk about the people and the places and things that really matter over time. And sometimes that's people who are so obsessive about their, their selfish pursuit, getting the top of K2 or whatever it is. But more often it's people who are reaching out with broader arms to pull more people in. Yeah. I've been finding that a lot of the adventures I interview are doing these kind of wild things because of something else completely not related to the adventure. And that's the part I've always been drawn to is, is why. And we've talked a lot about that. Why do people do adventure? You know, for you, what has it been for you? Like, what does adventure fulfill for, for you as a human? Well, there's two things. There's, to see if I can do it hmm. and now to see if I'm capable of things. Um, you know, when I was in high school and I was a middling student, you know, and it really wasn't until 
college that I I really got my act together. I think I was, you know, sort of a typical dumbass teenager for a few years past my teen years. (laughs) And when I started to, uh, I don't know, take control of my life for me and not just live my life reactionary, um, I wanted to learn what I was capable of. I wanted to learn things that I can do. Sometimes that's within the purview of adventure and sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's woodworking or trying to see if I can play guitar or draw or whatever it is, you know, just always seeing if I'm if I can actually accomplish these things. So for me, one of the core elements of true adventure is there's uncertain outcome. Are you gonna be able to do it? Can you do it? Or is the weather going to cooperate or the waves going to cooperate or whatever? So, so that's the, um, that's the most important thing. Um, and I completely forgot the second. It's okay. The best <laughs> Help me is, out, Shelby. No, Where was I going with that? The best adventures aren't always easy. And I think, um, that might've been, but, but I want to go a completely different okay. way because I, I'm going to come back to it. Yes, I'm going to let's remember. come back because one of the things I, I think is interesting is you said you, you weren't a great student, but you're really well-spoken and, and, and highly cerebral. You're a thoughtful human. You, you've got this great mind. Did you read a lot as a kid? Do you oh yeah. Read a lot now? Oh yeah. Okay. I can yeah, tell. yeah. Yeah. You know, when I was growing up, uh, the public library was kind of the big thing, especially in the summer times. And so at night I'd go him inside. And I mean, there was nothing really on TV then VCRs didn't exist. So I'd read, you know, I would read and I would try to write my own book or whatever. What books do you recommend or that really helped shape you as a kid? You know, anything that would, um, enable me to go into a completely different place. When I was in my teens, I got obsessive about Lord of the Rings, the whole trilogy and all that, some kind of true crime stuff. Um, I, I, you know, and then as I was, became a young adult, I sort of read like classic modern literature, you know, Don DeLillo and things like that. And I'm, I'm less interested in that in contemporary stuff that's set in contemporary times. And I, I am in kind of an escapism and it doesn't have to be fantasy, but just mm-hmm. something that enables you to disappear from the experience that you have and completely immerse yourself in that. Is there any books right now that you're reading that you love? Oh God, I have a huge stack. Um, I'm really, uh, enraptured right now with the work that Peter Heller is doing. And in the current issue of AJQ, we have an excerpt from his first novel, Dog Stars. And, and Peter is, uh, you know, he started just like I did. He worked for magazines, freelancing and doing expeditions and coming back and writing about them. And then he, set aside this time in his life where he wanted to make a commitment to fiction and he did. And, uh, um, we have a little interview, like a one page interview with him and he doesn't plot out his books. He doesn't, he doesn't structure them. He just sits down and starts writing. And so this, this first novel, the dog stars, he sat down in a coffee shop in Denver and the first line came to him and he had his character. Hig is the protagonist of this post-apocalyptic, um, optimistic post-apocalyptic book. And he said it was like having the next eight months, it was like having a conversation and sitting down listening to what Hig had to tell me. And I've read Dog Stars probably four or five times now, and I'm going to go back into his other two novels and read them. And um, 
I like Peter's work because it overlaps into the stuff that I care about, which is the outdoors, uh, some elements of adventure. But he fell in love with poetry when he was a child, which is unusual. Mm. You know, poetry is not super accessible. And but he just became completely head over heels over it. And um, in our interview, he, he said, he goes, I'm much more interested in the music of the sentence than I am necessarily in the content of it and, and where it's going. And so his writing is very lyrical. It's poetic. It's, it's beautiful. I just, I, I enjoy reading it again and again, as opposed to necessarily breaking new ground. And, um, and I work really hard on in my writing on the rhythm and how it sounds if you read it aloud and with all the pieces and AJ, the same thing, or really pay attention to the rhythm of it. I mean, it has to, if you read it aloud and it sounds good, um, you're halfway there. I've always loved your writing. And, and with your photos, what, what do you pay attention to when you take a photo? Oh, well, there's so many things, um, you know, light composition, perspective, in recent years, I mean, I'm not really, I mean, I shoot a little bit for AJ here and there, but I'm not doing assignments for anybody anymore because AJ is everything that I'm doing now. And so my photography is more just for me personally. So I self-assign or, you know, have a place that I want to go shoot. And, um, and I have, I have little series that I'm shooting here and there reflections. I've been shooting basketball hoops all over the world in just weird places. And I like basketball, but I'm not a nut about it. But I just started noticing like that people will stick up a backboard in the, like in the garage or in this craziest place. And when you sort of step back and you look at the context of it, it sort of, it makes the statement about people and recreation. And so, um, actually where a lot of my photography has gone is I'm more interested now in stepping back and showing a big picture, like a lot that's going on. Maybe it's a street scene or, or something like that. And where the images are very layered and you have to engage with the shot and kind of figure out what's going on. And I think that like these reflections, it's kind of the same thing. I've been doing this all over the world. Like I'll look into a store or I'll look into a house or I'll look into a church or whatever. And I'll try to get it so I can see a little bit about what's going on inside a little bit, what's going on outside and kind of this blurring and it requires you. And, and I don't know if the photos are any good, honestly, I haven't really showed them to anybody. I haven't done anything with them. I don't know how good they are. Or they aren't, but what's interesting about them. What I love about them is that you have to engage with them. You have to stop and you have to look and go, what's going on here. And so it's, it becomes a very, it demands an active role on the part of the viewer. And so for more of myself, I've been trying to do that. And I think that that's true of the words. It's absolutely true of what we're doing with the quarterly. You know, the, the, we had a piece in the first issue by Craig Childs called The Seed Jar. And I've probably read that piece 30 or 40 times now. And I still keep discovering these nuances that he snuck in there, that he mm. put in there that I didn't notice the first time around. And so for me, as a reader or as a creator, it, it, you know, that's like when you invest yourself in something and try to understand like what this what this thing says or what this thing is all about, whether it's adventure or a photo or a basketball hoop or whatever it is, it, that experience becomes that much richer. I also think it stays with you longer and then affects how you see the world. I want to ask you about, um, you're, you're such a thoughtful, deep guys, but I want to ask you about, you know, your part of the AJ is, is online and now there's social media and 
you know, how do we, like you, you as a kid spent time going to the library and reading books and then doing adventures. Now kids have Instagram and can you just share a, briefly your thoughts on just social media and how we can use it for the positive and how maybe we're missing the boat on adventure specifically with social media. Can we just shut down social media? <laughs> I always wish that we could do that as well. It's so frustrating. I like things neat and clean and binary. And of course the world is not that way at all. And social media isn't that way at all. And you know, this is, I think, I, I don't know anybody who isn't struggling with it. Okay. Like if they aren't struggling with it, call me and tell me what your secret is. Cause everybody I know wrestles with this on a daily or hourly basis, whether it's wanting the little dopamine hit from another like, mm. or seeing what your friends are up to or whatever it is. Like we are clearly wired for this kind of stimulation. And so, you know, if, if I could, just do AJ and print and nothing else. I would be so happy because I think that the richest experiences, the richest reading experiences, the things that you retain the most are the things when you're focused and it's quiet time and it's analog, frankly. Totally. Um, at the same time, I mean, you know, I, I have my smartphone, I have my iPad, I have all this stuff. I love this stuff. And I'm a voracious reader of all these things. So there's a lot of positives that come there. Uh, I, I don't have an answer, except that I think we all need to be thinking, trying to step back and think about what the net effect is on us in, in how we live and think and breathe, by which I mean... Are you able to put your phone away? Are you able to not think about Instagram for a few hours or whatever your thing is or your forums or your Pinterest or whatever? Um, one thing that's really become critically important for me, I call it um, my Fridays. I call them digital Sabbath. I completely unplug. Nice. And I mean, I'm not fully analog. Like I, I often will do photo assignments for myself or I'll go investigate new trails or whatever and I'll take pictures. So it's not like I'm going like paleo or anything like that, but I'm just getting completely off the grid in terms of social media and email and all those things. And it's because over nine years now of um, doing AJ and getting caught up in that, the obsessiveness of like, what's my traffic doing? How many likes am I getting? You know, never ever, what is there news that I should be covering? Never ever being able to let go of that. I've had to build in this thing as um, kind of a, like a safety place, you know, so I don't completely go no one, go around, around the bend. I think everybody I've interviewed has said the same thing. Cyrus Sutton had a really interesting take on social media. Just, you know, it's it's allowed him to kind of, have a have a house and so many things but and be a filmmaker but you know he was just saying how we're so attracted to these these images of people from like you know youth and like he said we're going to start seeing people more and more like pictures from you know taken from a high up mountain down looking at like you're like looking at your prey i don't know it's really interesting he had a i'm butchering what cyrus said sorry but Everybody struggles with it, especially if you're an adventure and you like to get outside and you like to do things that bring you joy. You know, one of the things about this show is a lot of people on here want to go start a wild idea, like starting a business. 
you know, I'm sure everybody would want to have an adventure magazine. It sounds like the dream job. What's the reality? Like, what does it really take to do what you do? Uh, well, I don't, I don't know where to start. I mean, my wife, Joni, is an incredibly talented graphic designer. And so in terms of the actual production stuff, it was relatively simple for us. But then there's this whole other, like, how do you get a product to market? How do you market it? How do you sell the your customers how do you you know we've chosen because i didn't want to be outside outside is fantastic like why would you want to do anything that competes with them right so i'm like if we're going to do a magazine then we has to be special it has to be really different and so we have very limited advertising the, the most that we'll ever have in the book is 16 pages and 132 page book so you're automatically by wow. limiting yourself financially there right because you're not willing to take more but we want we call it, we're not writing about luxury, but it's a luxury reading experience. It's a premium reading experience. We have tremendous problems getting things, the postal services to work correctly, especially internationally. And we pride ourselves on customer service. So if somebody's magazine doesn't get there, we're going to pay out of pocket to get them a new one. And, you know, and it's not cheap. I mean, a subscription is 60 bucks. Our retail is $18 for a single copy, but we, we wanted something that was really, really special along with that. So very low profit, small profit margins. You have very low circulation, very premium thing. Like it's a nightmare as a business model, but in terms of like coming back to those satisfactions and like what you feel good about and things that matter, we're doing it because this is what we want to see. This is the kind of magazine that we want to see. So for somebody who wants to do it, like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, if everybody has it, like everybody has a different path, everybody has different experience. Um, you know, I mean, you kind of just have to dive in like my good friend and often collaborator, contributor, Brendan Leonard, semi-rad, you know, his, one of his most recent books, books was make it till you make it, mm. <laughs> which is, you kind of just got to do it. I love it. You just have to do it. I love that advice. So make it till you make it. I think you just said two things. You have to dive deep and you have to keep going and it's going to be a lot of work. You have to go all in. Yeah. I mean, I've been all in on AJ since 2008, well, to 2009. And it's, it's caused me to, there's a lot of things I've not been able to do. And it's at the point right now where I don't have to spend as much time. I've been able to get more people involved and pay them and feel like it, I'm not the Lone Ranger anymore, which has been amazing. But for like the better part of eight years, it's been 70 to 80 hours a week in front of a screen. I mean, to me, that's like, all it's all in. Like you really have to give yourself fully. I appreciate you sharing that because I think some people aren't honest about how much it really takes to start something that lasts. And, um, Oh dude, you have to do everything. I mean, listen, we, we go to the storage Joni and I go to the storage unit we meet the truck and we unload our freight. <laughs> That's awesome. we, we are, we are wrapping the magazines, you know, in craft paper, ourselves right now and we run to fedex and we run to the post office there's nobody else like it's us right and aj in my wildest dreams is not going to be a whole lot bigger or a whole lot more people god i hope we can get more people but it's not gonna be that much bigger you know like it's just like if you're gonna do it and i think that this is one of the things that we talk about social media i think one of the real risks of social media uh, is where we fetishize these things and we pull them out of context and we show only what looks like this this incredible experience and you don't see the blood and the sweat and the tears and all those things to get there. You don't see the crying. And with the magazine, I mean, it's one of the things that we try to do with AJ is to show all of those elements of it. But I think as we 
as we get so much of our window onto this world through social media, which is idealized, it's a completely skewed perspective of the world. And even if we know it, it's really easy for us to forget that real life is more complex. It's harder. You know, I think, I mean, I don't think anybody wants to hear us cry about how hard it is building a business, but at the same time, acknowledging the realities of it, I think is really important because then you don't have those illusions. You know, I definitely had illusions. Like I had no idea how damn hard it was going to be to actually sell it. I've suffered the same delusion that so many people do when they believe in their product. Like it's so great. People are going to find it. Well, no, this is why marketing people get paid the big bucks because you actually have to go out and find people. But like, I didn't know, you know, yeah. I was naive about that. I think this is good because I think of my show, a lot of people are telling me they want to quit their jobs and go start something. And so I don't want to be that person that encourages that. I want to encourage you to find your wild idea, but to completely understand that some of the best ideas and adventures aren't easy. Um, I think sometimes we think adventure is easy. So, so with that, I want to ask you, you know, you are highly successful. You do a lot in one day. You have this Sabbath on Saturdays, digital Sabbath or Friday digital Sabbath. Do you have any other like tools, tactics, routines that you do every day that just kind of helps everything flow easier? I'm always looking for systems and things, and and uh, what I've realized is that um, I'm always seeking the silver bullet, like that one thing, whether it's an app or a piece of software or a system in my moleskin or whatever it is. And there just aren't, and there isn't one thing. And so I, I am sort of embracing the imperfection of it that like, okay, well this, this is a period where I'm like really heavily <laughs> using Evernote. And then there may be a period where I'm really heavily using a, a to do thing, you know, an app or something like that. I went through a phase where I just obsessed about trying to find the right CRM software so I could handle all of my communications mm-hmm. and not feel like I was dropping the ball. I kind of, I could go through these things and I just, I realized that I think you just constantly have to reinvent. And the critical thing is, is managing that guilt of feeling like you're not doing good enough. You are doing good enough. You know, you, you are, and we're all imperfect. And, and the damn internet, like we, there's this, it's, it's voracious, it's bottomless. And it's created this thing where we feel like, whether our business is so integrally tied like mine is or a little bit less so we still feel like it's never enough and i think that this digital sabbath idea is this idea of just saying you know what it is enough we have to build in like our brains are going to always guilt us into feeling like we should do more and yeah you do have to go all in but you also also have to build those times so i think that like i mean it's sort of a typical long casimiro answer and uh, maybe not really to the point, but I, I think that it, what you have to do every day is kind of like acknowledge the reality of where you are, right? An app's not going to be your magic bullet. You know, I think being self-reflective and being able to almost more than being able to go is being able to stop. Mm. I like that. If you could go back in time and tell your 15-year-old self one thing, one piece of advice, what would you tell him? Uh, just stay on the path, man. My life is blessed. I mean, I've really had experiences. If I could live more lives, <laughs> if I could live multiple lives, there's a lot of other things that I would tell that kid. But I mean, it, since I can't, like, like, I mean, this we know this. You learn way more from your mistakes. I mean, I can't tell you how many things that I've started, especially through AJ, because it's so easy to do things online and test them. And 
things that they fail or they don't meet expectations or or it turns out that they have a set lifespan and then you move on to other things that's incredible like we don't teach that enough the importance of failure mm. you know and and a frustration and and as i've gotten older and i think about you know what my last 30 or 40 or however many years are going to be you know my mom's in her 80s my father-in-law is 78 um you know and i'm in my 50s and i think about okay you know what how do i continue to stay fresh and not decline and one of the things i was just reading is that um yeah you have to continue to do things like crosswords and read and whatever but like if you really want your brain to continue to be nimble you have to you have to break through periods of frustration. Like when you're trying to learn a new language and you're going, ah, screw it, this sucks. I'm never gonna be a good, or like drawing. I'm such a horrible drawer, illustrator. But continuing to stay with it and break through those times, you know, I think that perseverance and getting past the frustration, like that to me is the most critical thing. Mm. And I mean, that goes like with adventure, right? Yep. Like learning to lead more or, you know, cleaning something on your bike or whatever it is. Like, I mean, I think that that, that element of like, damn it, I'm going to do this. I, I'm going to see if I can do this. I am going to do this. I think it's probably Tony Robbins, but my new mantra has been like, replace frustration with fascination. It's not easy to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm an idiot. I'm screwing up. Oh, I'm, <laughs> I'm fascinated by this. You know, I heard I heard Tony Robbins on one of the, the NPR TED Talk things, and I sort of I loved his message, which is not about inspiration or anything like that, but it's about like kicking you in the butt to find the thing that yeah that is cool. that is your your passion in life, your mandate. Like you know, to get up with a sense of mission every day. It's cool. You found your mission clearly, and um, I just. I've loved this talk. A couple more questions. Well, I wanted to ask you real quick about travel. You've been so many great places without giving away the best secret spot in the world. You know, where's, where are a couple places people should check out right now? And don't go to Iceland. Iceland sucks. It's cold. It's don't, go, don't to go to Iceland. <laughs> okay. He's lying. Don't go to Iceland. It's only $200 on like <laughs> from LAX right now. It's crazy cheap. Yeah. I just got back from Iceland. Um, yeah, it, was, it was actually interesting because Iceland is really struggling to manage its popularity. I mean, it's... It's Chris Burkhardt's fault. It is Burkhardt's fault. <laughs> next time I'm going to punch that guy in the mouth, man, next time I see him. No, I mean, it's... it's Yeah, Chris and a lot of other people have done an amazing job of showing how beautiful Iceland is. And Iceland is suffering for its popularity mm. right now. And it's a lot of things. I mean, I it's... I'm actually looking to maybe doing a story on this and digging deeper and trying to understand more about it. Cause I, I'm very curious about the role of social media in particular Instagram and its impact on, on Iceland. And because Iceland is experiencing exponential growth in 2010, they had about 400,000 visitors this year. They're going to have close to two and a half million. It's a tiny wow. country. Everybody's going to the same places. They're not going to the places that Chris shoots because he doesn't really identify a lot of them. And he's going to places that are cold in the middle of winter and, you know, and, and, uh, he's breaking new ground he's doing some really rad stuff, but like the classic stuff that everybody does, the plane or Skogafoss or, you know, whatever it is. I mean, they're just inundated and we hiked out to this transport plane that crashed in the seventies on this black sand beach. And it's about two and a half, three miles each way out and back. And, um, you know, I was sort of I was debating: do we do we want to do this because it's it's an Instagram thing, right? You know, is this going to be cool or what's it going to be like? And we get out there, and there's about 15 people out there. It's like not the experience that you think you're going to have, and it actually 
was cool. I'm, I'm glad we did it. But like for photos, finally, this, this one girl's like, there's just so many people. Like, can we just everybody step back? And so we kind of took charge and got everybody to step back so we could actually take photos of the plane just by itself, you know, which is how it's been for most of its existence on that black sand beach, but was, you know, it's kind of an apocryphal story, right? Like this is like, you know, it's, is it, it jumped the shark kind oh, of. Interesting. So it was, it's fascinating. So I, you know, I think for me uh, and my, my son, this was a family trip. And um, the last time I was in Iceland was about 11 years ago. And I was going, oh my God, I can't believe last time I was here, there was, like at the bottom of Skogafoss now, there's there's like a hostel and a motel and a and <laughs> bathrooms and and a a restaurant. And when I was there before, we drove our defender up to the base of the waterfall, Aww. and and my son's going, "This is great. I'm loving this." But for our next trip, I want to go like what Iceland was like 11 years ago. Yeah. So I think <laughs> colder, farther north, farther south, more expensive. <laughs> I mean, I think to go to places that are actually, that are not Instagram famous and just go find your own, you know? I mean, there's like, there is so much in Chile, like the, the, the just driving north to south down in Chile. Like there's so much down there. Don't go to Chile. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> we're about to just, next. Everybody just stay home and just view it on Instagram. <laughs> go to Chile. That's a beautiful spot. Um, last question. If you, well, you have a magazine. If you could fly an eco-friendly plane across the world with, with a message or even around Laguna, because they the planes go by with those messages in the sky, but it's an eco-friendly plane. What is your message? You know, I, I think if I have any message, the thing that I'm I'm trying to communicate and that I'm trying to do myself is just to be less selfish. Mm. I mean, I, what I see, certainly politically, um, this binary two-party system where everybody's dug in and we're just stuck. But that's also true with our different user groups. And this idea of this us versus them, like I think that we have so many intractable problems in the world today, climate change being the biggest, obviously. Um, and, and, and the root of it is, is our inability to let go of our selfishness and to find compromise. And I think as long as we're stuck in this place, you know, I think about this a lot with my kids. I would move heaven and earth for my kids. I would... I would give them my last everything for my kids. And I think that if we adopted a bit more of thinking about other people as our family, you know, our willingness to give, our willingness to seed a little bit and, and to try to find common ground, maybe we'd be better off. Maybe we'd actually be able to get out of this place where it's it's always us versus them. Mm, I like that. Steve, thank you so much. Where can we find more? <laughs> at adventure-journal.com adventure-journal.com it also comes out quarterly you can subscribe online it's a beautiful thick it's a book it's not a magazine the, Steve thank you so much for coming it's on it's my pleasure Shelby thank you you if you want to check out the adventure journal or check out sections like their weekend cabin, which is one of my favorites, just go to www.adventure-journal.com. The actual magazine comes out quarterly. It makes for a kick-ass present to someone you love who also loves adventure. Thanks again for listening to the show. It's been six months since we started. Last week, 
we were ranked in the top 10 of all outdoor adventure podcasts. So thanks to listeners like you who keep writing great reviews on iTunes. This helps grow our show a ton. It keeps us going, lets me pay for editors and my production team. If you have feedback, you can email me directly through my website, wildideasworthliving.com. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and even Twitter. Thank you again for listening. Thank you for supporting this show. Thank you to Danner Boots. And wherever you are in the world, don't forget some of the best adventures happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you next week. 